Well, if you brought your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to the book of Acts. We're actually going to look at three different passages this morning. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. And Acts chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. If you did bring your Bible, we'll have all three of those passages on the screen for you. The book of Acts is the story of God's grace overflowing into the world as a result of the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. From the beginning of the book all the way to the end, we see the power of the gospel preached. It has the power to turn hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. We see God's passionate pursuit of his people. We see the church birthed and we see the, what, what, what radical change the indwelling Holy Spirit can bring to individuals and to a community. The book of Acts also reminds us that the preaching and advancement of the gospel has met opposition from the very beginning. Taking up our cross and following Jesus will not be applauded by the world. At the very least, it will, be, uh, it will not be understood. More often than not, it will be resisted or in some cases attacked. It's an incredible book of the Bible and I encourage you to read all of it if you have never read it before or read it again if it's been a while since you read it. This morning we're going to look at three different passages, but they're all very similar, and you'll see why I put them together. We're going to seek to discover what the early church was like. My goal this morning is to celebrate. It's to celebrate what the grace of God can create when we are filled with and responding to the Holy Spirit. We'll see that in the early church, and we'll see that even in our own church. And I want to challenge all of us to open our hearts wider to what the Holy Spirit might be calling Alliance Bible Fellowship to. I think we have many reasons to be encouraged, which is all the more reason to open our hearts even wider to see what else the Lord might want to do in us. So let's begin by looking at these three passages this morning. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." Acts 4, 32 to 37. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to any as each had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then Acts chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. 
And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. People also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. This is the word of the Lord. And the central idea in all three of these passages is this. Because of Christ's resurrection, because of the coming of the Holy Spirit, the early church experienced God's power. The early church enjoyed unity and loving care. The early church gave joyfully. And the early church experienced remarkable numerical growth. Today, a local church like Alliance Bible Fellowship or more broadly, the American church, or more broadly than that, the church around the world, can have all of these same qualities if God's people respond to the gospel in repentance and faith. These three passages serve as summary explanations to describe what the climate of the early church was like. At the same time, these passages serve us as ideals to strive for or return to. As the early church learned from the apostles' teaching, they responded in worship and praise. As they remembered Christ's sacrifice for them when they took communion, their devotion to God and to each other increased. Since they had been forgiven by God, they forgave each other. This rare love and unity, this joyful generosity, this numerical response, it's still possible today. Now, a church can't just will itself to to do this and to be this way. We certainly should give it effort. But ultimately, we fall on our face and we ask God to make us this way. We ask God to mercifully pour out His Holy Spirit in such a way that we as individuals, we as a church, become this. And God, I ask you right now, bring revival upon Alliance Bible Fellowship. Bring revival to America. These passages and acts describe an atmosphere that we need to hunger for. But we do need to be careful. Some read the book of Acts, particularly these passages, and they say, the early church had it right. And they did. That's true. But over the years, I've noticed that some people, when they say that, they forget that there's a lot of struggles and trials and persecutions and sin and temptations that were also present for the early church and were recorded for us in the book of Acts. While the early church enjoyed an amazing work of God, we are wise to remember that turbulence was also present. The early church was not a perfect church. The early church did not dwell in a perfect society. Thousands were coming to salvation by faith in Christ, and preachers were getting thrown in jail. People were selling their houses so they could give money to the benevolence fund, and some were lying to the Holy Spirit and dropping down dead for it. By chapter 6, a certain group of widows were complaining that another group of widows were getting better treatment, and they were right in their complaint. So the early church had to reorganize and get a more workable plan to minister to the people that needed to be ministered to. Listen, when you have a whole lot of people in a church, not everything is going to run smoothly all the time. It didn't for the early church. It doesn't always for us. But we do need to to strive for the description of the early church. But let's not forget that all 5,000 plus believers, well, they were brand new believers. And as we read the rest of Acts and as we read Paul's letters, 
which are directed to many of the churches we read about in Acts, we're reminded that ministry is messy. Ministry is rarely easy. It wasn't then, it's not today. Earlier I said my goal this morning is to celebrate, it's to celebrate what the grace of God can create when we are filled with and responding to the Holy Spirit. And I want to challenge all of us to open our hearts wider to what the Holy Spirit might be calling us as individuals to do, what he might be calling us as a church to do. So let's start by looking at what God can do when we're filled with responding to the Holy Spirit. Because of Christ's resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit, the early church experienced God's power. There was a consistent awareness and awe that was present. They enjoyed loving They enjoyed unity and loving care. They gave joyfully and they experienced numerical growth. So let's look at each one of those for just a few moments. First, experiencing God's power. Acts 2.43 says that everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Acts 4.33 says that the apostles' preaching was accompanied by a great power. The word could be translated as mega power. These were not lifeless sermons that left people saying, so what? These were sermons that the Holy Spirit used to slay sin and save sinners. People's lives were being changed. Acts 5, 12 says that many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles. Christianity is not just a moral code or a religion of do's and don'ts or some system of logic that gives us comfort and guidance. Christianity is supernatural. The gospel preached, the gospel believed, the gospel applied. It does miraculous things. Our triune God is not limited by natural Laws. He operates supernaturally whenever he wishes. And the early church and the community around them saw this with their very own eyes. A lame beggar who was over 40 years old was well known in the area. He was healed. Thousands of hearts were softened and faith in Christ was the result. The apostles were arrested and then rescued by an angel. The apostles were beaten And they left their beating rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. And they went out and kept preaching. This is what happens when people in the church are filled with the Holy Spirit. You rejoice when beaten. Sinners repent. The miraculous, it might even take place. Do you ever read your Bible and leave feeling fascinated but not really fed? Do you ever read your Bible or listen to a sermon and walk away feeling informed but not transformed? This can happen. The Bible transports us into a time period in a culture that's quite different from ours. And if we're not careful, we can walk away from a sermon or a time of reading our Bible and think, yeah, God did that back then, but he doesn't really do that kind of stuff now. Friends, this is not true. This is not true. God is unchanging from everlasting to everlasting. He is God, Psalm 90. Verse two, he's the beginning and the end. Isaiah 48, 12, Revelation 22, 13. God's truth does not change. The word of the Lord stands forever. Isaiah 40, six to eight. God's purposes do not change. He's not a man who changes his mind. First Samuel 15, 29. Jesus Christ does not change. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13, eight. 
When we read stories of of God saving sinners or healing the lame or rescuing the imprisoned preacher, we're supposed to remember that God is powerful. We're supposed to remember that Christianity is supernatural, not just a religion of do's and don'ts. We're supposed to live by faith in that truth. The same Holy Spirit who was active in the early church is still active in the church today. Likewise, the same devil who was prowling around looking for someone to devour in the early church is doing the same today. Resist the devil. Run to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Our God is powerful. Where, he, where, where we are weak, he is strong. Where we are helpless, he is able. Now how God chooses to display his power among us is his decision. When God chooses to display his power among us is his decision. Healing might or might not happen, but we need to expect his power. We need to live in the reality that he is powerful. We need to remember that Christianity is supernatural. Secondly, we see that the early church enjoyed unity and loving care. Acts 2 tells us that all those who believed were together and had all things in common. They met together daily They had one mind. Acts 4 says that the early believers were of one heart and soul. Acts 5 says they were all with one accord, all with one accord in Solomon's portico. All of that's a remarkable description because there's about three to 5,000 people at that point. The early church was connected to each other. They were connected physically. They were connected physically. Mentally, they were connected emotionally, they were connected spiritually. They met together every day. They could not get enough of each other. Regular life was an interruption to, to church instead of church being an interruption to regular life. They didn't fill up their calendar and then decide if church could fit in that week. They sought to be together every day. They wanted to be near each other. They, they thought through life Together, They rejoiced with each other and wept with each other. They included each other in whatever was going on whenever they could. They, they prayed for each other. They all, thousands of them, had the same goals and ambitions for life. And those goals and ambitions seemed to boil down to two. Take care of each other and witness to the world. Take care of each other and witness to to the world. Think of John 13, 35. Jesus said, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The world can't argue with that. Think of Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Go. That's our mission. The early church sought to love each other and share the gospel, and we must seek to do the same. This unity, this loving care, it was felt and extended in in large groups and in small groups. In Solomon's portico or colonnade, that's a large section of the temple where the early church gathered, probably held a thousand plus people. They also gathered in homes around the dinner table. It didn't really matter what place they were in. Whatever, Whatever Christians gathered, the presence of God was among them. It had a mighty effect. The early church loved each other. And they were accepting new people into their fellowship on a daily basis. New people were always welcome. They were sought after. We're a big church. 
And that creates some particular opportunities, creates some particular challenges as well, to be quite frank. But record numbers are seeking to make this big church small, primarily through life groups, through weekday Bible studies, men's and women's Bible studies. We have more people connecting in small groups, men's studies, women's studies, life groups than we've ever had before. Praise God. It's a great place to connect with other believers, to do life together, to think through life together, to walk through life together. Consider joining one if you have not. Third, early church gave joyfully. Acts 2 says that the early church began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Acts 4 says that not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. Those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds to the apostles and distributed it to the needy. This was and is unusual generosity. But this was not communism. This was not communal living. Some have tried to say that, but it wasn't. Acts 2 tells us they were constantly going to each other's homes. That means they did not move into one big building. Owners of lands and extra houses would sell them. But that means that they owned them. It's not like when they became a Christian, they immediately just turned over the title to the church and the church told them what to do. No, if they decided to sell, they'd sell and they'd give what they wanted to give. Church didn't take ownership of property. In chapter 5, we read of Ananias and Sapphira. They sold a piece of property and we learn that they lie about how much that they got for it. They actually got more than they than they were giving, but they were saying that, that this is all that they'd gotten, all right? Um, and they dropped down dead for it. <laughs> it's kind of a stunning God moment <laughs> of power. But when they are caught, Peter says this. He says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. And, and then Ananias and later his wife, they instantly dropped down dead. Another example of the power of God. But the point I'm making here is this. The apostles, the early church, they continued to see personal property and proceeds from the sale of it as owned by the individual to do with what they wanted. Giving was voluntary. But once an amount had been laid at the apostles' feet, it, it came under the authority of the church. Among the church, the attitude toward possessions seems to have been this. You need to borrow my donkey? Go ahead. If you get a chance, bring it back. You need some help repairing your roof? I'll loan you my tools, and, and I can be over there in two days to help you. We, got, we had a big need among us? Okay. I, I got this extra piece of land. Let me sell it, and I'll give some of the money to the church. It wasn't a requirement, but the wealthier believers, they wanted to use their wealth to help the church. They were less interested in extra vacations to the Mediterranean and more interested in ministering to the needs of others. The proceeds from that extra field or cabin, it went to the church. Christians loved each other so much that they made sure that there wasn't a single needy believer among them. That is unusual generosity. That is miraculous generosity. America loves money and material possessions. We are a minosaur culture. The Minosaur is a children's book about a dinosaur who won't share with others and, and then he gets upset because he feels so lonely and isolated. We read it at our house from time to time. 
America's filled with people like the seagulls in Finding Nemo. You remember those? Mine, mine, mine. That's all they say through the whole movie. Mine. That's the way America is, unfortunately. What about us? Would you even consider selling your iPod or your iPad so that the money could help someone here? It'd be hard for a lot of teenagers to do that, I know. Would you ever sell a piece of land or an extra home to advance the mission of this church? Would you even consider selling your BMW so that a poor family in the church could have a reliable used car? People in the early church, they enjoyed downsizing or liquidating assets for the benefit of others. It's incredible. I'm happy to tell you that generosity at ABF is at an all-time high. Elders, staff, ministry leaders, we've just been thanking and praising God all year long and looking at what God is doing and saying, wow. Giving is regularly exceeding expenses. Ministry is happening all over the place. A variety of needs are being met through generous people, sometimes planned, sometimes spontaneous. It's wonderful. Thank you, Lord, for working in this way. Thank you, church, for responding in this way. May God make us more generous. May we open our hearts even wider. Finally, the church experienced numerical growth. Acts 2 says that the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. New believers were being born every day. Acts 5 says that multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. Acts 1.15 tells us that after Christ ascended into heaven, there were about 120 faithful believers that were, that were holding tight, sticking together. Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Peter preaches a sermon. 3,000 people receive his word and are baptized. It's a preacher's dream. In a fairly short period of time, the church grows to 5,000 plus. We see that in Acts 4, 4. Obviously, this was all what church people call, church growth people call conversion growth, all right? In the early days, you didn't have anybody moving into Jerusalem, transferring their membership from First Church to Cyprus. There seems to have been great effort uh, on, the, on the part of all of the believers in Jerusalem to stay as one church. But as the gospel spreads, it becomes necessary to have churches in other places. So in Acts 15, 41, we read of Paul going through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches, plural. Acts 16, 5, we read, so the churches, plural, the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. As believers increased, it became necessary to have many local churches in various parts of the cities. A healthy church, it's a growing church. People, men and women, boys and girls, should be coming to a saving knowledge of Christ when a church is loving each other and sharing the gospel with, the, with lost people. And when life circumstances call believers to move to a new place like Boone, one of the first things they should do is find a healthy, growing, gospel-believing church. The early church grew, sometimes in a miraculously rapid way, and sometimes in a steady way. Now, when I hear of 3,000, 5,000 people, I just got to be honest, one of the things, first things that pops in my head is, where do all those people meet? I and mean, if they stayed as one, how do they do that? At least three answers pop up quickly. In Acts 1.13, we read uh, that they met in an upper room, possibly the very upper room where Jesus had met with them. We know that they met in homes regularly. Acts details that for us. Archaeology tells us that some of the larger homes uh, could have potentially held 50 to 120 people. 
especially if the house had some sort of courtyard around it. So there were some, there were some large homes that members of the church had and they used them, used them for uh, gathering spaces. We also read that the early church gathered at the Jewish temple for prayer. That's kind of interesting to think about. We're not going to dive into all that right now, but they would, they would still use the temple for prayer. Solomon's portico is mentioned, or Solomon's colonnade is mentioned several times. It was a large space within the temple. We read in Acts 5, 12 that they would gather there. In Acts 12, we read about some of the church gathering at the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. And the passage says that many were gathered there. So it seems to have been a fairly large house. We know that Paul would use synagogues, at least as a starting point for his ministries. In Acts 17, we read of Paul preaching in the midst of the Areopagus. Some mocked him and some believed. By Acts 19, we see Paul using the hall of Tyrannus on a daily basis. We don't know a whole lot about this hall of Tyrannus, but it seems to have been a courtroom or a lecture hall. The result of Paul's ministry in that place was that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Why am I going over all this? You've heard that the early church gathered in homes only, potentially. And some people say that we should only use homes today. But as I read through the book of Acts, as I read through the New Testament, I see the church gathering at homes, absolutely. I also see them gathering in large places whenever possible. Yes, there were house churches. And Solomon's portico, which held thousand plus people, was also a place to gather. And the hall of Tyrannus, courtroom or large lecture hall, was a place where people could hear the word of God preached every day for two plus years. Numerical growth, which is going to happen when God's people are who they are supposed to be, and do what they are supposed to do. It creates the need for ministry methods, creates the need for ministry space. The early church, it experienced numerical growth, and it seems to have used a variety of methods and a variety of spaces to gather. Numerical growth is certainly happening here at Alliance. Almost all ministries are experiencing record Numbers. The walls are bursting with people. Pastor Doug has had over 50 newcomers this fall. He's had to have multiple newcomers classes going on at the same time so that uh, we can meet with all of them. People are coming to Christ. Moms and dads are leading their children to the Lord. We had a college student uh, in the middle of College Connection last week come to know the Lord. We had a youth leader lead a middle school girl to the Lord just the other week. Her parents don't come to church, but she came with a friend and one of our leaders led her to the Lord. It's exciting things happening here at Alliance. Growth, lots of growth, record numbers. This is why we started that, that new building years ago. And it's why we keep pushing to finish it. The need for our new building to be finished cannot be overstated. Our current building is literally used seven days a week. Literally, it's, it's, it's always being used. 
Meals are leaving here to go to people who need it. We're having meals together on Wednesday nights, hundreds of people gathering for that, seeking to make this place a Red Cross shelter so we can use it in a variety of situations. Outreach is happening, uh, starting here and going out. Discipleship is happening here. Loving care is going on on a daily basis. It's exciting. We need more space. When, the, when that new building is finished, more rooms will be available for adult Bible study and life groups. Our preschool children will have a more suitable, secure, uh, large space. There'll be a much larger foyer for fellowship before and after worship gatherings. Larger worship area will allow for more people to hear the gospel. Having our own building, it offers us some specific capabilities that we think are useful to ministry here in the high country. It's been a long journey to get it done. And sometimes a long journey can make you tired and discouraged. And in those moments, I found it's helpful to look back at the, at the ground that has been covered so that I can keep pushing forward in the days or in the journey ahead. So we've got a, a very brief video, and I mean brief, just to help remind us where we've been and where we're headed. stage we've been working on on the inside is finished. Um, the inside is not finished, but that next stage is. I encourage you to go up there and check it out if you haven't seen it. We'll keep pushing ahead. If Alliance is to be the kind of church that we've seen uh, the early church was, here's the personal application for you this morning. Each of us must seek these things in our own personal life. We must live by faith, remembering that Christianity is supernatural, that God is powerful, and he can do amazing things. Things. We must seek to be a loving and caring person to anyone we meet and any new people that come and join us. We must seek to be generous and we must share the gospel and not hoard it for ourselves. Open your heart today and ask the Holy Spirit to make you this kind of person. And may we as a church seek to be this kind of a church. I think we're well on our way. It's very encouraging to see all that God is doing. The life of Christ is our example. The gospel is what makes all of this possible. The early church experienced power. Jesus displayed God's power. He lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. The early church had an unusual generosity. Jesus left the glories of heaven and gave himself for us. The early church enjoyed a contagious unity. Jesus enjoyed fellowship with the Father and the Spirit and he made a way for us to be in communion with our triune God and enjoy a fellowship that is truly unique. The early church grew numerically despite hostility. Jesus endured hostility so that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord might be saved. And he desires for many to come and know him. Let's pray together. Father, help us to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help each of us to pursue unity and give care to one another. Help each of us to fight against our materialistic culture and give joyfully. 
Thank you for the many who you have made into Alliance Bible Fellowship. Would you continue to use us to reach many more for you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Continue in worship. Sing the 